Good morning, Calvary Church. My name is Clarence, and it is a joy to be before you guys this morning to deliver um, God's word uh, to you. Uh, if you guys remember, um, the last time I taught was, I think, last year in November, um, taught during the Titus series, and I had the very fun and exciting subject of talking about money um, during Titus. Um, so when Pastor Jim, a few, uh, a few months ago, came to me and said, Clarence, I'm going to have you teach during the Malachi series, I was excited. I'm like, great, that's, that's awesome. So I asked him, you know, what text am I going to be teaching out of? Um, he says, I'm not quite sure. Let me go check in my office, but I think it's somewhere in Malachi chapter 3. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm, you know, he's gone. I'm thinking to myself in my head. I'm talking to God. I'm like, I know a little bit about Malachi 3, but I know very specifically that in Malachi 3, there is a verse that says, will a man rob God? Yes, you have through your tithes and your offering. So now I'm thinking through my head, okay, like, am I just the money guy? Like, do I just... The only thing I talk about is money. Like, I'm like, God, I can talk about other stuff besides money. And then Pastor Jim comes back out and says, okay, you're going to be teaching on Malachi 2.17 through 3.5. Um, so I'm excited um, to be here. I'm excited to teach because I feel like I've graduated. Like, I've taught on money, and like, now I get to teach on something different. So I'm excited that I don't have that burden of talking to you guys about money um, again. I get to talk about something else. So I'm extremely um, excited about that this morning and to be with all of you um, today. Um, a couple questions for us as we get started this morning in God's Word. COVID-19, hoax or real? Black lives matter or all lives matter? Republican or Democrat? These are all issues that have caused division within our world and even in the church over the last few months. Whether you've watched on television or you've looked on social media or just in conversations and passing, everyone is going forth sharing their opinions and their preferences on the matter. And what's actually happening is that there is a war that is raging in our society and is even raging within the church as each person specifies and believes what they think is right. Um, one thing I found out as we've navigated through the season of COVID and all these other things is that when trouble arises within us and things don't go as expected with people or with situations, we have a tendency to have disdain towards others and even towards God. Do you know someone who, who's kind of done that over this last kind of three, four months? Or maybe you've been that person. That as it relates to the chaos of COVID and then your anger and your frustration, have you been so frustrated that people are choosing to wear a mask, or are you frustrated because um, you have to wear a mask or other people choose not to wear a mask? Um, do you find yourself getting frustrated that our governor has made it basically a mandate that every single public place you go into, you have to wear a mask? As it relates to the brokenness of injustice in our society, do you get angry when people don't see your point of view? And even as it relates to your political preference, do you get mad when you see people on the opposite side of the aisle than you are? Have you been frustrated and angry at God? Because it appears that he's absent. It appears he doesn't care. Nothing is happening and you're tired of going through this ever-living cycle over and over. In all those situations, there's expectation that hasn't been met. 
disdain towards others and disdain towards God, all with this notion that we are right and everybody else is wrong, including God. This is what's happening in our text here in Malachi. The Israelites, they're back back into Jerusalem. They're no longer in exile. The temple has been built, but life in Jerusalem is not going as they expected it to go. And because things are not going as it expected them to go, they're having disdain towards others. They're having disdain towards God, all with this underlying notion that they are the ones that's right and everybody else, including God, is wrong. This is where we find ourselves in Malachi this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would encourage you to join me in Malachi chapter 2, beginning at verse number 17. Malachi chapter 2, verse number 17. And it says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? When we look within this passage of Scripture, we can begin to see essentially three problems that are happening simultaneously in this passage. Like when we look at this Scripture and look at the context of everything around it, we see the problem. And there's three problems happening all at the same time. The very first problem that we begin to see in this passage is that God is wearied by the very words of Israel. If you think back to the very beginning when we first started this series, Pastor Tom talked about how Israel was basically very indifferent and very complacent excuse me, towards God. In a sense, they're not revering God. They're not worshiping God as the great God. They're not living a life that is reflective of this reality. They're basically just complete, just indifferent towards God. And, and we've seen this over the last few weeks as we studied Malachi. We see unfaithfulness. We see improper worship. And even last week, as we looked at relationships, the relationships are even broken. And even with the midst of all that that's going on, and even with what Israel is going to declare about God, which we'll talk about in a second, God is, very, is wearied by the very words of Israel. Now, now we know that God is not wearied in a, in a physical sense and that God cannot be wearied um, in a sense that God is actually our source and the source of Israel in times of trouble and in times of affliction um, when um, we're wearied ourselves. But actually, this is actually, this word weird is actually used figuratively of God to suggest that God's patience with Israel is wearing thin. That instead of them seeing God as a great God, a God that is holy, a God who deserves to be worshipped and, our life, and their lives need to be resemblant of that, they're choosing to live a life outside of that and God is wearied by the very words Israel is speaking. This is a problem. The second problem that we can begin, can begin to see are the very words that actually wearies God in the first place. They essentially accuse God of being a God of injustice. Um, Specifically, what they're saying is that God actually goes forth and delights in evil and delights in the wickedness while doing nothing for them and actually actually doing something for them and doing nothing for the good. That see, Israel is looking in Jerusalem and all around them and seeing wickedness and sin and all this stuff going on, and God is doing nothing about it. It's almost as if God is placing his stamp of approval or he's blessing these very people who are doing evil. But yet, Israel looks at themselves, and they're experiencing affliction. See, in Israel's mind, they feel they should be receiving divine blessing, but instead they're experiencing affliction by God. So based upon a notion of they feel that they should be receiving blessing, but experiencing affliction, 
and everyone else who's doing evil is experiencing blessing and not a fiction, they conclude that God is a God that delights in evil and God is a God who is unjust. Specifically, they say, where is the God of justice? This is a problem. The third problem that we see in this passage here is actually the underlining problem within itself. Israel. See, it's actually Israel that actually wearies the Lord in the first place. It's because Israel is failing to live a life worthy of the greatness of God, worthy of the holy God in which they have right in front of them, because they're choosing to live a life in opposition to this, this is the reason why they're experiencing affliction. Instead of worshiping God and realizing that he's patient and he's compassionate and that he's loving, they choose to push the limit and say that God is unjust. And in their frustration, because their expectations are not being fulfilled, they're pushing their frustrations off towards God and suggesting that everyone else, including God, is wrong. While they're right, that God has to be a God of injustice, because he surely isn't working in our favor. Crazy, isn't it? I mean, we kind of went through this. It kind of seems quite obvious that Israel has the problem. I mean, as we've talked through Malachi so far, it's obvious that it's, this, is, this is Israel's fault. This is all on them. It's, this is their fault. Or maybe it's not so obvious. Because I believe we have the tendency to have the same type of behavior that Israel has. That everybody else, including God, is wrong. But we're in the right. That everybody else has the problem except us. I mean, think about it. Oftentimes, we compare our Christian journeys with other people and suggest that because we don't participate in the same sins as somebody else, that we're the good ones and they're the bad ones. Or we may see someone struggling with a particular sin or struggling with a particular issue, and instead of us actually going about to help them and see about them, we stand on our high pedestal and say, I'm too good to help them to get involved in their mess. Or we look at ourselves as a country and we basically um, insult and basically delittle every other country because we are the United States of America and no one measures up to our greatness. Or even as it relates to our political preference, we get so uh, 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 married to that religious preference that we look at people on the other side and suggest that they are what's wrong with our country and they are what's wrong with our world. And even when we encounter situations and circumstances and affliction in our life, but yet we see other people who we think are deserving of it, not receiving it, we ask and declare the same question of what Israel is declaring in this very moment. Where is the God of justice? All because our expectations hasn't been met and we feel that we're always in the right. So the problem is, the problem with Israel is sadly the problem we still have. But what I love about God, God doesn't leave us where we are. That even with Israel basically being rebellious and insulting towards God, even though Israel is not revering and worshiping God as the great God, God doesn't leave them the, where they, leave them the way they are. That even though there is a problem that's going on, God comes forth and answers that problem with a promise. Look at Malachi chapter 3, verse number 1. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. You look there in verse number one, you see the word will that is used four times. And it's basically conveying this future reality. 
And as God has accused God of essentially being absent, what God is saying in this moment is, look, I've always been here. But in the future, I'm going to concretely show you that I'm here, and I'm going to show you that I'm indeed the God of justice. He, he mentions at the very beginning that he will send his messenger who will prepare the way before him. And this language here is very reminiscent of that of Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 3, where it talks about how there's going to be a messenger that's going to come and pay, make a pathway through the desert for God. And see, Malachi is interpreting this messenger the same way in which Isaiah does, which we see fulfilled in the New Testament, is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had the responsibility of being this forerunner, basically this person, this messenger, that basically paved the way for the king, instructing people to remove obstacles of unbelief out the way. But, but not only this, not only this, not only is there this messenger that's coming, but it also says that suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. See, see, what God is saying in this very moment is, look, I've always been near to you, but I'm going to be near to you even in, a, in an even greater way. That see, what's happening here is that God is not only going to be near his creation, he's going to be with his creation. Because this image, this messenger of the covenant that's coming to the temple is an allusion to Jesus himself. See, no longer would God fill Solomon's temple with a cloud, but now he will fill the very temple with his physical presence by the means of Jesus, who will come basically um, pushing in the covenant made between God and Israel and by his death on the cross and his bloodshed, bringing forth a new covenant for all to follow. See, Israel has accused God of being absent and being unjust. And what God is saying in this moment is, look, I have always been here. But in the future, I'm going to concretely show you that I'm here and that I'm indeed a God of justice. Specifically, what God is saying to them, that the God of justice is coming. How, how does that feel when you kind of hear that, that the God of justice is coming? How, how does that feel in your heart that the God of justice is coming? Um, um, I don't know about you, but it gives me encouragement to know that the God of justice is coming. In light of the culture and everything that's going on right now, it gives me encouragement to know that the God of justice is coming. That, that when I go out in society and I'm looked at because of the color of my skin and not because of the content of my character or because I'm a child of God, I'm encouraged that the God of justice is coming. That when I hear names such as Ahmed Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and so many other African-American men and women who have been killed unjustly and have yet to receive justice, I'm encouraged that the God of justice is coming. And, and even when I think of my daughter in my prayer that she grows up in a world better than the world in which I'm living in right now, but when I think of my daughter when she gets older, it's my hope and prayer that she's looked at as a beautiful, intelligent, God-fearing woman and is not looked down upon or judged or dismissed and given, not given a fair chance to succeed because she happens to be black and she happens to be a woman. What encourages me despite those things is that the God of justice is coming. And when the God, and when the God of justice comes, he will restore and he will renew all things. And when he comes to restore and when he comes to renew, there will be no more racism and there will be no more discrimination and there will be no more prejudice and there will be no more distinction. He's going to come to make all things new. He's going to come to make all things right. And that within itself gives me encouragement in the world we live in today. See, Israel 
It's asking, basically saying that God is absent and God is the God of injustice. And what he's saying is, look, I've been here, but when I come, I'm coming to render justice. Except Israel, I'm not coming the way you think I'm coming. I'm not coming to appease you, but I'm coming in a different way. Let's look at Malachi chapter three, verse number two. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launder's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. See, God is saying, look, Israel, I'm coming. But I'm not coming how you think I'm coming. Actually, it's going to be a very unpleasant experience. It's not going to be this joyful experience in which you're anticipating. This is going to be an uncomfortable experience. Specifically, the text mentions, like, who can stand when he comes? Like, the righteous or the wicked will not be able to stand when he comes. Why? Because when the God of justice comes, he's not coming to look at the exterior. He's coming to look in the interior. He's not coming to look at the smiles on people's faces. He's not coming to look at their beautiful garments. He's not coming to look at any of that. He is coming to look at the heart. And when the God of justice comes, every single sin, every single imperfection, every single thing that's evil that is rooted within the heart is going to be in front of the God of justice. That literally his presence is like a magnet. And when he shows up, every single thing that's inside of us that's not right is going to go to the forefront of the God of justice. Do you see why this won't be such a pleasant experience? Why this won't be such a great experience? Because when the God of justice shows up, the sins of Israel are going to be right in front of them. See, but just like as there's a problem in the text, because remember, God doesn't just leave us where we are. He doesn't just expose us and just leave us there. But just as there's a problem in the text, and with the problem, God goes forth and brings a promise, one of the aspects of the promise of God is that he's going to come purifying his people. He's going to come purifying his people. Specifically, um, God is going to come as a refiner's fire. Essentially, he's going to remove all the elements that are, not, that are basically unbeneficial to Israel. And he's going to come as a launder soap, essentially cleaning, basically, and restoring them to an unblemished state that he's going to be a refiner and a purifier to Israel. And he basically, says, he basically suggests their value in that he's going to refine, he's going to purify them as if a refiner would do so with silver and with gold. Now, now the text here mentions specifically Levites here, because if you think back a little bit with the Levites, there is basically unfaithfulness and improper worship that is going on with the Levites. But once God gets done purifying and refining them, these are going to be people of honesty and integrity. And these are going to be people who basically offer sacrifices to God in righteousness. And see, the refiner, the refiner had a very unique job in that a refiner basically goes and he has the silver and he kind of does all his process with the silver. But when the refiner knows that he's done, this is what he does when he knows he's done. The, basically, the silver is melted down into a liquid. And when the refiner can look at the liquid that is silver and see his own image in it, that's when he knows the process is complete. This is what God is doing with Israel, with these Levites, that he's going to refine and he's going to purify them to the point that when that father begins to look at each and every one of them, he sees his image in them. 
as they offer sacrifices in righteousness to him. This is good news. Because see, the Levites here are basically serving as the representatives of the righteousness of God who are basically being purified and not destroyed. And if you remember Pastor Jim's sermon from a couple weeks ago, um, we are priests, and this basically represents us. That the same thing that's happening to the Levites happens to us even now. When we have an encounter, when we get in front of the face of the messenger of the covenant, which is Jesus, and he draws near to us, every single sin, every single imperfection, every single evil thought, every single thing that we thought is right is going to be right before Jesus, and he's literally going to shake and scatter and basically shaken the foundations of what we think is right. Every single sin, every single thing that is evil on the inside of us is going to be brought out before Jesus, and he's literally going to shake and shatter the foundations of what we think is right, what we think is right concerning COVID, what we think is right concerning the injustice that's happening in our world, what we think is right as it relates to the political climate of our country, and every other sin and every other thing, he's going to be exposed before Jesus, and he's literally going to come and shake and diminish and destroy everything that we think is right. But what I love about that is that even though we are exposed before Jesus and even though he comes to destroy all this stuff, if we repent, he will purify us and we'll be made righteous in him so that we can live a life that is worthy of the great and glorious and honoring God that we have in our lives. Um, look, look, at, look at 1 John chapter 1, verses um, 8 through 10. 1 John chapter 1, 8 through 10. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. You kind of see that there, the, the purify us from all unrighteousness. Now remember, these Levites are being purified so that they can offer up sacrifices to the Lord in righteousness. And what is happening here is that when we get before Jesus and as he exposes us and literally destroys the foundation of what we think is right, if we repent to Jesus, he will purify us from all unrighteousness, suggesting then that he purifies us so that we become righteous. And as we become righteous in Jesus Christ, we offer up our lives as a living sacrifice in righteousness to him. That's only if we repent, repent of our sin, repent of our desire to always be right. Repent of this notion that everybody else has the problem when realizing that we are a part of the problem ourselves. We have to repent. See, Israel has accused God of being a God who delights in evil and is unjust. And what Malachi is suggesting about God even right here, he's basically saying, no, the God, Yahweh, he's actually a God of righteousness, and he's going to come to purify each and every one of you. And he, when he comes to purify, it's not going to be a pleasant experience. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to feel good. But once the process is over with, something beautiful happens out of it. It's going to be unpleasant. It's going to be uncomfortable. Some people may have to be shifted out the way. Some things that we hold near and dear may have to be removed. Some things that we always thought were right and foundational may have to be moved out of our lives. But in the end, we look just as the Father intends for us to look like, just like him. 
Um, when I was, I'll be honest, when I was looking over this particular passage, um, the only thing I kept thinking of um, was when my wife Lee and I started giving my daughter, um, Nora, um, table food for the very first time. Um, we would take food and we would kind of just chop it up and mush it up and then put it on her high chair and let her just go to town um, on it. And so she, you know, she would pick it up with her hands and she would try to put it in her mouth and all that, but only a small percentage of the food made it into her mouth. Probably roughly a good 30, 35% actually made it into her mouth. Because the rest of the food made it all over her face and all in her hair and all over her arms and her clothes, all over the high chair. Like she was just a complete just mess. And with Lee and I, that didn't sit well with us. Um, and realizing that between when dinner is and when we give her her bath, there's like a two, two and a half hour span there. And realizing that if Nora stayed dirty and we let her play around, then the rest of the house gets dirty. And that's more work for us. And I ain't got time for all that. So, <laughs> so basically what we do is we, we, we would get a warm washcloth to go over and start to clean Nora. And, and my daughter's smart. She knew that once we got this washcloth, she knew exactly what was up. Because she knew we, we were coming to clean her. So as we had this washcloth and as we're drawing near to her like a boogeyman does, like a person in a movie like, like this or something, as we're drawing near to her, she begins to cry. Because she doesn't like it. She doesn't like us doing it. And, and as we try to go and start trying to wipe her down, like she's moving her face from, from left to right and she's frailing her arms all over the place. She's twisting her body all around. And like she's twisting and moving so much that like she's moving the high chair all over the kitchen as we're trying to cleaner. And she's doing this because it's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good. And, and she doesn't like it. But we do it because we know what she's supposed to look like. So once we actually finish, finish, finishes her up, she's clean. And she's the child we know she's supposed to be. See, if it was up to Nora, she would prefer to stay dirty. She would prefer to stay in her mess because to her, it feels good. And it's comfortable. And she's not bothering nobody. It's all up to her. But because we're her parents, we know what she's supposed to look like, and we clean her up so she looks how she's supposed to look. When the God of justice comes upon Israel and even comes upon us, he does the exact same thing. He sees us in our sin, sees us in our mess, sees us in these thoughts and in these things that we choose to hold on to as foundational and says, I refuse to allow them to stay the way they are. So he comes and he refines and he purifies each and every one of us. And the thing is, though, if it was up to us, we would stay in our sin. We would stay in our dirt. We would stay in these thoughts. Why? Because they feel good. And I'm not bothering nobody. And this is just who I am. And I just want to stay this way. But God says, no, I want to purify and I want to refine each and every one of you. Because when I purify and when I refine each and every one of you, you'll be, able to, you'll be righteous and be able to offer your lives as a living sacrifice and righteousness to me. But not only this, I'll refine you in such a way that just like the refiner who melts down the silver to a liquid and, the and basically the refiner sees his own image in the silver, he refines and purifies each and every one of us so that when the Father looks down from heaven and looks up upon his creation, he sees his very image in each and every one of us. That we don't live unto ourselves, but when the Father looks down in each and every one of us as he refines and purifies us, he sees his very image in each and every one of us. See, God loves us, but he loves us so much that he refuses us to remain where we are. So he refines us. He purifies us. And yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, we'll be exposed. 
Yes, yes, it won't feel right. And yes, some dear things and some dear people may have to be moved out the way because what God is going to begin to say in that moment is that they weren't beneficial and they weren't great for you. But when the process is over, something beautiful comes out of it. That we are people in which reflect the very image of God who basically can offer their lives as a living sacrifice in righteousness to God. He desires to purify and refine each and every one of us. But for those who choose to reject the purifying and refining work in which Jesus wants to do in our lives and what God is trying to do with Israel, for those that want to choose to hang on to their sins, for those that want to hang on to this notion that they are always right and that they're always right and everyone else is wrong, for those that want to hang on to that, punishment is coming. That just as there's a problem, and there's a promise to that problem. And one of the aspects of that promise is that he's going to come purifying his people. The other aspect of that promise is that God is going to come and punish his people if they refuse to accept the refining, the refining and purifying work that God desires to do with his people. Look at verse number five. So I will come to put you on trial. Now be quick to testify against sorcerers and adulterers and perjurers against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. But those that want to reject what the purifying, refining God is trying to do in this moment, the promise of punishment is coming. And God is talking to essentially unbelievers or the wickedness or those that want to let go of their sin in this particular passage. That this last phrase here, that those who do not fear me, those who feared the Lord basically worshiped and they obeyed the Lord. But people who fall into these sin categories that are listed here in these verses here are those who basically chosen not to fear God. And they're rendered as the unbeliever, as the wicked, as the sinful. And for these individuals, they can expect to receive the promise of punishment at final judgment. He says here that I'm coming to put you on trial. And essentially, this word trial in our NIV translation and other English translations is the word judgment, and it's the same Hebrew word used with Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, where Israel asks, where is the God of justice? What Israel would feel and hear in this very moment is that we've asked for justice, and what God is saying, you've asked for it. This is what it's going to look like. And he says, I'm going to come swiftly as a witness. I'm not going to take my time. I'm not going to walk slow. I'm coming in quick, and I'm coming as a witness. And this word witness will basically convey to Israel this covenant they've made with God in which they're supposed to live their lives by and what God will come judging by. And as God goes forth and lists basically moral code and social justice laws that have been broken, what God is saying in this moment is that if you want to refuse, if you want to refuse my refining work and want to hang on to your sin and hang on doing what you think is right above anything else, you can expect to receive the promise of punishment at final judgment. See, it wasn't enough for Israel to look all around and conclude that everyone else has the problem. It wasn't enough for them to look all around and say, God, render justice on everyone else. Israel had to look within their own hearts and realize they are very much a part of the problem themselves than anyone else because they were actually doing an injustice to God. And if they chose to hang on to their sin, hang on to this notion that they are right and everyone else is wrong, including God, they can expect to receive punishment 
at final judgment. Calvary Church, it's not enough, for, not enough for us to look out in our world and what's going on and conclude everyone else has the problem, but we're all right. But we need to do an honest assessment and look in the mirror and realize we are just as much a part of the problem as anyone else because we're doing an injustice to God and an injustice to one another. As it relates to COVID and injustice, as it relates to the injustice in our world, an injustice. As it relates to, to the political things, an injustice. We're doing an injustice to one another and we're doing an injustice to God. And if we choose to hang on to our sin, choose to hang on to this idea that everybody else is wrong, but I'm in the right. Hang on to this notion that I don't have to reason, or I don't have to seek to understand anybody because I believe my ways is right. We are likewise going to experience the, the promise of punishment at final judgment. If we choose to hang on to our sin, hang on to what we think is right, we are going to experience the promise of punishment at final judgment. That if we want to be like sorcerers and perjurers and deprive people with false words, or if we want to be like adulterers and destroy relationships, or if we want to be enablers of injustice instead of advocates for justice, we can best believe we're going to experience the promise of punishment at final judgment. That if you want to be so married to your political ideas and so married to all that that you refuse to reconcile those things to the cross of Jesus Christ, you can expect to receive punishment at final judgment. See, the same message in which Malachi is conveying to Israel is the same message he's conveying to us. You know how you're supposed to live as people of God's love and as God's covenant. And when you live a life in opposition to that, it should be no surprise at all that you experience punishment when God comes again. Calvary Church, you know how we're supposed to live. You know how we're supposed to live as people of God's love and God's covenant. And when we choose to live a life in opposition to that, we can expect to receive punishment when God comes again. See, the God of justice is coming. See, see, Jesus is here in this very moment. He's ready to purify and he's ready to refine each and every one of us from the sins of comparison and, 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 and self-centeredness and entitlement that Israel had and that we even have ourselves. Jesus is here in this very moment to purify and refine each and every one of us so that we can have and present our lives as a, as a, as a living sacrifice of righteousness to him. He's ready to purify and refine each and every one of us so that when his father looks down on each and every one of us, he sees his very image in us. But not only that, he wants to purify and refine each and every one of us so that we can go into our respective places of influence, whether that's our job, our homes, our communities, the culture at large, and speak against sin, and speak against injustice, and speak about everything that's so wrong with our world and actually be a light for Jesus Christ in the very city of Grand Rapids, Michigan. The God of justice is coming. And I, I know we hear language like that, like, you know, Jesus is coming again. I know we hear that all the time, and it, it appears like nothing is even happening. Like, I remember as a kid hearing my grandmother say, you know, Jesus is coming back soon because of everything that was happening at that particular time. And this appears that there's just stuff we say, but nothing is actually happening. And for some of you, that may entice you to continue sinning because you figure Jesus is not coming back anytime soon. So I just stay in my sin, stay in what I think is right, stay in my own ideologies and things like that. Well, if that's you, I want you to hear the words from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 9. 
Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of the water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Jesus is the answered problem to sin. One more time. Jesus is the answered problem to sin. Allow Jesus, even in this very moment, to refine, to purify each and every one of us. Allow him in this very moment to remove all the sin, all the evil that's rooted in our heart. This whole notion that we're right and everyone else is wrong, that it's everyone else's fault. Allow him to remove all this so that we can stand righteously before him. So that we can offer our lives in service to him and service to others so that we can go out to our respective communities and speak Jesus and Jesus alone. Just as there is a problem, there's a promise. One aspect of that promise is he's gonna come purifying his people. But another aspect of that promise is he's gonna bring punishment to those who refuse to relieve their sin and stay in it at final judgment. I pray you allow Jesus Christ to purify and refine each and every one of you. Because the God of justice, he's coming. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, in this very moment, we ask for forgiveness. We ask for forgiveness for the times, Father, where we refused to listen to the opinions of others because we were so dead set that we were in the right. We ask for forgiveness for being entitled, for being self-centered, and for comparing our lives to others and trying to feel good about ourselves because we're not like somebody else. We ask for forgiveness, Father, for living a life in opposition of the great God that you really are. And Father, in this very moment, we desire your son, Jesus Christ, to purify and refine each and every one of us. Remove things that should not be. Remove situations and thoughts and people that should not be. Allow us to be able to stand righteously before you and offer our lives as a sacrifice. Father, we pray now that you just rid ourselves of these things. And for that person that chooses and wants to hang on to that sin so bad, remind them, Father, that as you promised to purify, Lord, that there is a time where you're going to bring forth punishment for those that don't want to let go of their sins. Clean our hands, Father. Purify our hearts. We want to be a sacrifice to you. Do so in this moment. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and for being a holy God that cares. Even when we're in opposition, even when we rebel, 
you stay by our side and desire to refine and purify each and every one of us. Thank you, Father. Do it now. Thank you for speaking. Thank you for challenging us. Purify and refine each and every one of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series.